I, I, the songs tonight were special. I don't know how many of most of you here, probably many of you here, remember Lester Roloff. He loved that old song, Living by Faith. Man, I can remember him singing that, Living by Faith. Yeah. He's up there in heaven now, too. So it's an amazing, amazing thing. And, preacher, I, I love the fact that you take time to pray before this. It, I love that. I, you don't see that across America very much. And uh, don't ever quit that. Just have a time like that to settle our hearts in. I want you to be going back to the book of 2 Timothy, if you will, chapter 4. And I'll give you to a verse in just a moment. <clears throat> I would like you to have it available. Sometime back I was preaching, and I won't mention where it was. It was not this state. It was in another state. And it uh, it was in in about the June of the year. It was a nice time of the year. And the church I was in had, as an entrance, kind of a large porch area. You came up three or four steps onto a large, large porch area before you went into the actual auditorium. And uh, it had a gravel parking lot. <clears throat> and I remember in the evenings that the pastor and I would stand out on that big area and greet people as they would drive in. Uh, we, did, we didn't wait till they got inside of the, in, uh, the building. We would just greet them as they'd come out and up the steps and we'd greet them. It was in an evening service, and as it was coming towards the time to be able to start the service, there were a lot of people already in, and the piano was playing. And the preacher said, Brother Elliot, I really need to get in. He said, can I lead you in? I, I, I need to get in there. And I said, Preacher, if you don't mind. I'd been there a couple of nights. I said, if you don't mind, I'd like to stay out here for just a moment, and uh, I can make my way in now. I've been here enough. I can make it. And he said, if you think you'll be okay, I said, I'll be fine. So... I stood there for a little bit, and some of you older preachers know how it is. You want to get your thoughts together and try to get everything in your mind, uh, kind of what you want to do that night. And <clears throat> and um, I heard a car drive in. And as it drove in, I could hear because of the gravel driveway, I knew somebody had come in. And I thought, well, there's no sense in me going in. Right now, I'd like to greet these people. And so uh, I heard the doors, a couple doors shut, and... Heard some people walking up, and <clears throat> here came a lady followed by a man. And she stepped up on the porch, and I'm standing there, and she said, Howdy, preacher. I said, Well, howdy, ma'am. How are you? And she sat there a minute, and she said, I said, Howdy, preacher. And I said, uh, Well, howdy to you. And she stood there a little bit, and she said, I said, Howdy, preacher. And I said, ma'am, do I know you? And she said, I think you probably do know me. And when she told me who she was, I thought my heart was going to drop to the floor. Did I know her? Absolutely, I knew her. And she turns to me and says, by the way, this is my boyfriend. And I found out, by the end of the service, she was carrying his baby out of wedlock. Here was a lady in another state. Her and her husband, he was a deacon, absolutely enmeshed in the church. I'd been to dinner with them, I don't know how many times. She taught ladies' groups, 
And she's standing on the porch in another state saying, Howdy, preacher. This is my boyfriend. Look down, if you will, at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I want you to see just a phrase in verse 10. Now Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. There are certain things that happen to you that rattle your cage. That rattled me. That shook me to my bones. I had a hard time preaching that night. For Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world. Sad words from Paul. Demas is mentioned two or three times in his writings. Traveled with Paul. But something happened. And Demas loved this present world. And Paul had to write. Until Timothy and others, Demas has forsaken me. I feel like preaching tonight on the tragedy of forsaken Jesus. Father, I pray you'll take these words tonight. It's just one verse. Powerful, Lord. That Paul would have to write that and it be put in print forever. For people through the ages to read, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And yet, Lord, we live in a world where that is repeated over and over. I pray you just speak to us tonight on that subject and speak to our hearts very clearly tonight. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name we ask. That little event did two things in my mind. One, it personalized this verse for me. I don't know how many times I've read through 2 Timothy and preached through 2 Timothy. That verse was personalized to me, and I still could almost see her standing in front of me. No apology, almost arrogantly. This is my boyfriend, preacher. The second thing it did is... Reminded me along the trail, I'm, I'm soon going to be in the ministry 50 years. I can't tell you how many people I've seen that once were. They walked with Jesus, and now they don't. The tragedy of forsaking Jesus. I want to mention three things before we get into some things tonight. One is that when Paul wrote and said, Demas, Demas has forsaken me, you can be sure of this. He had forsaken Jesus first. So it's, it's just not that he forsake Paul. I, I would have a hard time understanding that if I had the privilege of falling along with Paul. But no one forsakes a church or a pastor before they don't first forsake Jesus. And the second thing is there are, there are levels of forsaking. Not everybody ends up like that lady. But there are levels in which the forsaking still goes on. It doesn't matter sometimes that we point to some tragedy and say that's what happens. But I'm telling you, there are levels of it. There are people who forsake Jesus by just 
idling away their time and not being faithful to church anymore. Because Jesus said to forsake not the assembling yourselves together. And even more as you see the day approaching. But there are people that love Jesus that that's just kind of ho-hum. And can I just say this? There are people that come to church and they might as well stay at home. Because they're kind of singing songs and it's not coming out of the heart and it's not coming out of worship. And we're not coming to the church because we love Jesus and we can't wait to be in his presence. We're just going because that's what we do. That's what we're made out of. We're just made out of the stuff of going and doing. There are people who are not in the word like they used to. They're not constantly waking up in the morning with Jesus on their mind. Now it's Rush Limbaugh and the Hog Report and everything else. Hello? It's the truth. It's the absolute truth. And it's not Jesus anymore that wakes me up in the morning and puts me to sleep. And we don't think of that as forsaking Jesus, but he understands that. You used to love me. You used to walk with me. Our obedience, our paying of the tithes and offerings, we could go on down the line. Just reminded that they're levels. And then the third thing, and that is that by any standard, forsaking Jesus is a tragedy. It's kind of like when the, you know, chickens come home to roost. When it's over and done and we look back, we realize what a tragedy it was. Sad thing to have to talk about. But I think across America today, as I travel, I see a whole lot of things that's, that's changing. It's scary to me. And so to approach this subject is sad, but I think it's relevant and needed for two or three reasons. One is because of its reach. I really believe that I could tell you tonight in this church, there are people that say, Brother Elliot, I'm going to tell you something. I love the Lord Jesus. I love him, and I would never forsake him. Can I say to him, think kindly, don't ever say that. Don't ever say that. Well, I'm telling you, I'm telling you that, then you're probably the closest one to forsaking him. Don't tell me that there's not a person in this room, starting right here, is not within the reach of that happening in our life. Absolutely every one of us in the room, that could happen. It's a sad thing. A few years ago, <clears throat> a young couple wanted to know if they'd go on a mission trip with me. And uh, I had a number that wanted to go to, to Asia that year, and so I took a, a number with me. This young couple had graduated, uh, well, they actually had met at a conservative Bible college, and they were uh, con- contemplating ministry. And so they wanted to see what maybe would happen if, if they went on a mission trip. I was so really impressed with them. They were a sweet young couple. And so when we got over to Asia, we were a number of different places. I watched them, and, and they, they just seemed to have a, a keenness to be around people and to care for the people and to try to be helpful. I remember the lady, the, the wife, was just, she seemed to attract children. And they would just run towards her. They couldn't speak the language. And she would try to teach them how to sing, Jesus loves me in English. And you could just see the love come out of her for those children. And he had, a, he had just had a fondness for ministry and handing out tracts. And 
So they come back, and I, I guess it's two or three years later, I get a phone call one day. It's such a, a very close preacher friend of mine. He said, Brother Elliot, uh, I need to talk to you for a minute. And I said, what's, what's going on? He said, uh, you remember, and he na- mentioned this couple's name, and he said, you remember, and he called them by their name, and I said, oh, yeah, how they do it. And he said, well, I don't really think you want to know. And I said, what's happened? And he said, uh, well, to be very honest, you they're in a southern state, both of them sitting in a penitentiary right now. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, I'm not kidding you. I said, what happened? He said, well, they, they came back, and they were okay for a while, and then they started missing on Wednesday, and then they started missing on Sunday night. Next thing you know, they get into church, they get back with some friends, they got involved in the wrong kind of stuff. They needed money, and they got the idea they could go down south by the coast and rob rich people's homes until they got caught. Today, their life is an absolute wreck. But they would have said, I'll never forsake Jesus. One of the sad things about traveling, if you're an itinerant like I am, it doesn't happen all the time, thank God, but but many times in the course of a year, I'll go to a church that I've been in before, and I'll say, hey, where's so-and-so? I'll preach here, they're not in church anymore. You're kidding me. She played the piano, and he, yeah, they're not in church anymore. I said, what are they doing? They're not, are they doing another church? No, they're not going anywhere. They just don't go anymore. Don't tell me it can't happen. It happens all of the time. It happens all of the time. I think of Samson in the Bible. Samson, you know, was the strongest man in the Bible. If you don't think so, uh, read again his life. He killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of an ass. Try that. Say, I know a guy's a real dude. You haven't seen a dude like Samson. <laughs> I've never seen anybody could kill a thousand Philistines with a, with a jawbone of an ass. You know, one time he walked out of the gates of a city and just took the gates with him. Put them on his shoulder. Amen? He did. Walk, that, now, now that, 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 that's a pretty good man can do that. Until one night he laid in the lap of a lady that he shouldn't have been with. And didn't even know he lost his power and his strength. And ended up having his eyes put out. Don't tell me it can't happen. David, probably the measuring rod of all the kings of Israel. A man after God's own heart one night when the kings went forth to battle, he didn't go. Wandered around on his roof, looked over the roof and down the road and saw a beautiful lady taking a bath and said, get her. They got her. Had a baby out of that and he ended up having to kill her husband, Uriah. Then ended up losing that baby itself. Don't say it can't happen. All through the Bible, it happens over and over and over and over and over. Demas has forsaken me. I just say to us, folks, we ought to wake up in the morning and we ought to go to bed at night saying, Jesus, keep me near the cross. Keep me close to you. 
It's a tragedy because of its reach, but it's a tragedy because of its reason. You know, <clears throat> forsaking Jesus is, is never suddenly. It's always subtle and gradual. It's always that way. It never happens. I've, I've been, like I said, in ministry a long time. I've never heard of a guy that wakes up in the morning and said, Honey, today, I'll tell you what I'm doing. It's Saturday. I'm going to head down and eat some donuts, drink coffee with some of the guys, and we're going to play some golf. And I need to stop by Walmart and pick up a few items of the way. Then I'm going to go over to the park and turn off the car a little while, and then I'm going to forsake Jesus, and then I'll be home. Nobody does that. Nobody says, I'm just, I'm going to, today, I think that's first of my priority. I'm just going to forsake Jesus, and it'll be all over. Nobody does that. You know why they didn't do that? Because it happens gradually. And very suddenly in their life. It's always that way. And the reason is, is because they start drifting. I grew up in southeast Kansas, in a little town called Cherryville, Kansas. Um, And um, my dad was a wonderful dad. My family was not saved, but they were good moral people. And uh, I didn't have a dad that hunted and fished, so I didn't get to learn all those things, but I had an uncle that loved it. And uh, occasionally, he would take my brother and me fishing. And my dad would say, boys, uh, Uncle Eldon's going to take you down to Grand Lake, and uh, you get to go fishing. Now, the bad part of that is my uncle thought you had to be up at 4 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And now, for an 11-year-old boy, that ain't cool at all. You know, so they'd get us out of bed and, you know, we'd sleep in the car and we'd get down there and hit it. I don't know why, I guess you'd call it John Boat. I don't know what it was. It had an 11 root motor. The reason I liked it was because he let me guide it. He let me run it. And then when you're 11, that's cool, man, you know. So we'd get out there and it'd be, it would barely be light. And I'd think, who in their right mind does this in the morning? You know, that uncle knew that you, you got to get out there early. So he'd get us out there, and he'd let me, he'd get the motor running, and he'd let me, you know, guide it a little bit until he'd get to a particular area, and that was fun for me. And then he'd slow down, and he'd say, okay, Mick, he said, you, they called me Mick back then. My, my name's Charles Michael Elliott, but nobody in my town would know me as Charles. It was, they always called me Mickey, Mick. And he would say, Mick, why don't you go ahead and get, get in the seat in front of me here? He said, we're about there. and It's real quiet. I mean, did you know, just... And then he'd get into an area where there's a bunch of brush under the water. I don't know what he liked about that, but he figured there were fish under there. And he'd, he'd get in a particular area, kind of a little cove area, and he'd shut that motor off. Now, it's really early in the morning, and it's just dead still, and you just hear that gentle moving of the water, you know. And he'd say, okay, boys, <clears throat> put your bait on on this caster mount. So we'd put on whatever it was, and we'd throw it out, and he'd say, now just keep your eye on that bobber. And when he goes down, you pull on that. You're going to catch some fish this morning. So we all do that, and we're sitting in that boat. Now remember, I'm 11 years old, and it's unbelievable time to be up, you know. And and I'm sitting there going... And truth is, I don't care less about that bobber. I don't care if it goes clear at the bottom. (laughs) 
And I'd be drifting around like that, just kind of sleepy, just trying to keep my eyes open, wondering, they call this fun? And I'm thinking. And all of a sudden, he'd start that engine. And I go, what happened? He said, this is what he'd always say. We drifted. I didn't know that. I had no idea we drifted. But he did. You know why? Because he never lost his focus. He was always looking at that spot right over there, wherever it was, where all that underbrush was. He knew there would be fish under there. And while I'm sitting there, lost total focus, can't keep my eyes open, he's watching that. And once he knew that we were backing away by the gentle waves that were moving us just gradually, slowly back, he'd move it forward again. You know what happens to us as Christians? We lose our focus. We forget why we're on this earth. Can I tell you something? We weren't put on this earth to live the American dream. Hello? And you're looking at a conservative Baptist and a conservative voter. That is not why we're on this earth. We're on this earth for the glory of God and to serve him. That's the only reason we're on this earth. But sometimes we can lose our focus, can't we? And we get all wrapped up in everything that's not that important. Didn't say they weren't important, but they don't have that priority. And next thing, our focus is not on Jesus. It's not on what he wants us to be doing. It's just going through the routine gradually. Second thing I learned in that drifting thing was he was vigilant and I wasn't. I thought about, Brother Curtis, this morning when you talked about that in Matthew 26 there where Jesus told him to watch and pray. He defined it for us, and that's exactly what it is. is when, you, when you, you're to watch, you're vigilant. You're a, see, I wasn't vigilant. <laughs> you know, I wasn't focused for sure, and I sure wasn't vigilant. You, you, it's hard to be vigilant with your eyes closed. It's just, just, just really hard, you know. But I was sleepy. I wasn't, you know. I, and when you're not vigilant, that's when things happen. I pastored, I, I don't know if this is recorded, so i got to be careful I do this. But I pastored three churches before I went into full-time evangelism in the late 80s. Two of them had Christian schools. And I'm thinking of one of them right now. We had a young man that oversaw the school. And uh, good young man, good young man, and uh, did a good job. And it just so happened that the church I was in had my office had a window behind my desk that looked out on a parking lot. But it was a high parking lot. If you went down just a little, we had a lower parking lot. Now, that was the main parking lot. But if you came up a little farther, there was overflow and that's where we had to let the young people go out for their recess uh, when school was out for their recesses and that like that and at lunch and what have you to play. We tried to set up things for them to do, but it's all we had. And so I could uh, sit there in my office and when it was recess, you know, children are playing and I want them to play and have a good time. But if I'm studying, I'm not studying now for about 20 minutes because they're going to be 
you know, playing and hollering and running. And so I always just get up and go get a cup of coffee at that time or if, if, if I'm studying. And, and my point is, is that I just have to realize it's a kid's time and that's the way it is. So I'd always had this um, policy that when the children go out, I want two adults to supervise them. I want them to I always want two adults on that playground to watch all the children. And I had told this guy ahead of school, make sure that happened. Now, as you look out on my out my window, and I still could see some then, over to the left, because it was the upper part of the parking lot, we had about four or five, I can't remember, little spaces for handicap. And I had always told the staff of the school, because it wasn't that big of a school, if you guys want to park up there, it's closer to come in, uh, even though it's handicapped. It's, nobody's going to be here during the week, and you can use those. And so a lot, of the, a lot of the faculty would do that. It was just easier for them. So one day I'm sitting in my office, and I don't remember what I was doing, but the recess time came, and I had all the kids were going out, and they were having fun, and Time went on, and I just decided to get up and look out the window. So I turned around, and I looked out the window, and see all the kids playing, and then I noticed there was no adults out there. And I thought, hmm. And so I looked again, and I looked to see, and nope, there was no adults out there. And I thought, now there's got to be something's wrong here. So I got up closer to the window and looked to my left where those little parking spots were with the handicap. And here's this guy that's the head of the school, and a lady who's not his wife, who is also married, and they're standing over there, a little too close to each other, shielded by the cars. Now, I have no reason to suspect anything up to this point, but something I'm telling you went off in my brain. About five red flags, you know, them not real. So I looked, they weren't touching each other, and they were, but they were kind of shielded behind these cars. I thought, okay, I need to keep an eye on this. So it isn't, but maybe a couple of weeks later, recess again. So I stand up, I look out, I look out again, nobody's out there. So now I'm beginning to get alerted, so I get up a little closer, I look, and I don't see him standing anywhere And I look at the third car down, and they're sitting inside the car, shielded by cars on every side. And man, I can still remember the day I walked out of my office, went around, went out a side door, walked right in front of the car, and I said, man, they stood up, and what's wrong, preacher? I told her, I said, you get to that playground, or don't you leave it. And I looked at him, and I said, come into my office right now. And he came in. I sit down behind my desk, and he sits in a chair over across from me. And he sits there when his head is hanging down. He's looking at the floor. I just, I've learned through the years, let him sweat it out. I just, I didn't say a word for a long time, just sit there. He's looking down, breathing hard, looking here, looking down. Funny, after a while, I looked over and said, what in the world are you doing? And this is what he told me. Preacher, I wasn't thinking. 
I said, you didn't have to tell me. That's obvious you weren't thinking. I said, you're about to ruin your family. You're about to ruin your reputation. You're about to destroy another family. And he started breaking and crying. I can tell you the good side of it is he did get right. And he's done well since then. And she has too. But you know why that happened? Because he lost his focus. And he wasn't vigilant. And he wasn't staying on top of things. And so things just started happening. And he thought he could handle that. No big deal. So you move from looking at each other in the classroom to standing to sitting in a car. And you can imagine the next move. You know what I've learned? People don't drop out of church because they don't love God. They drop out of church because they love something more than God. Can I ask you a question? Has there been a time in your life that you love this book more than you love it right now? Because I'm telling you, if it's not, you're drifting. If you don't wake up saying, I love this book, I've got to hide it in my heart. I've got to memorize it. You're drifting. You can play games all you want to play. The time you love being in church more than you do, Dad, is it routine now or do you love it? You're drifting. The time you used to have tracks and you handed them out, you told them about Jesus. But you don't do that today. I just tell you this, you're drifting. Well, it's a tragedy because of its result. I'd like you to go back to the book of Jonah, if you will. Please, I want you to look at a verse we're about through. Jonah, chapter 1. You know the story. We call him the reluctant prophet. I call him the drifting prophet. (laughs) He chose to drift on purpose. God said, told him to go and preach, and he said, I'm not going to do it. I hate those people. He's prejudiced. So you look down verse number three, and we're not talking about just nobody here. We're talking about a prophet of God, a man of God, like the Ninevites, but just. You'll find out, you read through the, the book, he was prejudiced. He didn't care if they went to hell, it bothered him. So the Bible says in verse number three, and I'm just paraphrasing, that's what you look at. So he, he fled from the presence. Now stop and think about that. If there's a verse you ought to understand, look where he fled from. The presence of God. You know what's sad about drifting? You're leaving the presence of God. Now, God's always present in us, right? He never leaves us. But you don't have that sense of his presence anymore. You don't have that that knowing he's there. But Jonah was willing to do that. He was willing to leave the presence of God. You know how many people are broken lives today that walked away from the presence of God? And notice what it says, and he went down. You know, we've heard about it before, but it's still true. When you walk away from God, you always go down 
down, 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 down. Oh, I could sit here and tell you stories after stories. Down. You know what's sad? They don't even know it. They're kind of like Samson. They don't. They wit not that the spirit had left them. They don't even know. There are people they they don't even know what it is to walk in the spirit anymore. They've been so far out of it they don't even know what it is. Eh, go to church. What am I supposed to do? Just go through the routine, I guess. And he went down, down. And notice, and in the Bible said, and he paid the fare. There's always a stopping point, isn't there? And that stopping point is when you pay the fare. And we don't think about that. We live in blue sky. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's cool, man. Don't tell me. I know how I'm doing. I'm fine. Don't bother me. Well, you'll pay the fare someday, and that's the price. Oh, I can tell you stories. I was asked to go back to the 30th anniversary of the church I pastored in Missouri, in Louisiana, Missouri, and preached that week. And as I was uh, there, uh, the pastor, the new pastor, came up and said, Brother Hutt, uh, and he mentioned a guy's name who I hadn't seen in 20 years. And he said, uh, he wants to talk to you. I said, he's here? And he said, yeah, he wants to talk. And I said, well, where is he? And he said, he's just sitting about halfway back on the left there. And I said, uh, well, let's let people clear out. But I'd like to go back and talk to him. Now, this guy, I guess I had tried to talk to. He was one of these guys that got saved. But he'd be in a while, and then he'd be out a while, and he'd go, and he'd get down, and they'd he drank, and then they'd put him in the county jail, and then he'd get out, and he'd get back, and he'd get back. And every time he'd come to my office, I'd talk to him, and I'd, I'd show him Scripture, and i said, call him by name, and I said, um, you're heading in the wrong direction, boy. And this is what he'd always say, Yah, you're right, preacher. Yah, you're right, preacher. I'm going to do right. I guess I did that four or five times when I was a pastor. So now here I am, and I hadn't seen him in years, and he's sitting back there. So everybody clears out, and the preacher gets me back to the aisle, and then he leaves and lets me just sit. I scooted over by this guy, and he's just sitting there with his head almost between his legs. He's just I put my arm around him and say, hey, brother, it's good to see you. Yeah, preacher, good to see you too. He said, I got a lot of problems, preacher. I said, the brother. And I don't know why I said this, but it felt like the Holy Spirit told me to say this. I said, uh, my brother, God's not going to put up with this very long. And, uh, yeah, preacher, you're right. I'm going to get that thing right. He told me what it was. We prayed together. I told him to stay in church, stay with the new pastor, get counseling if he needed to. Yeah, preacher, I'm going to do that. It was less than a week later, I get a phone call from that pastor. And he said, Brother Elliot, 
I'm sorry to have to tell you something. I said, what's that? He said, remember, and he called this guy by name. And I said, oh, yeah. And he said, uh, he's dead. And I said, what happened? He said, oh, he got all tanked up again. He was living with some gal. And he was waving a revolver around in the air. And she tried to grab his wrist to get out of it. It went off and blew his brains out. And he paid the fare. Now, a lot of times it's not that, not that much. But you know, the sad thing that we forget when we start down is that we always take somebody with us. How many times I've heard people say, ah, it's up to them, live what they want. I live my life, they live it. Hey, it don't work that way, dude. When you're a Christian and you walk away, you're taking somebody with you. You just mark it down, it's going to happen. No man's an island. We don't live like that. I told you about the lady this morning, didn't I? Boys in jail. Got cancer. Husband died. Dead broke. Wonderful, godly lady who has been faithful. See, I didn't tell you the story about her husband. Because he wasn't. And she tried to raise this boy and keep him in, in the Christian school and tried to bring him to DVBS and everything they could to raise him, right? Taught him verses in the Bible. But dad didn't have time for that. One time in 11 years, I saw him in church, talked to him personally, said he was saved. But he had a lot of fun. He wanted to just be a good time rock and roller, you know, just have a great time. But he forgot he had a little boy that loved his daddy and watched his daddy every day walk away and say, I'm not going to church, son. You go ahead and go with mama. I didn't tell you also, this is the second time he's been in prison. He's probably not coming back. The tragedy of forsaking Jesus is not just that you and I might pay the price. Is somebody's going to go down with us. And last, if it's not that, the tragedy is we lose our testimony. I, um, I always told people when I pastored, I said, the one thing you don't want to lose is your testimony. You can't hardly ever get that back. And you become the greatest advertisement for Satan there is. He loves it. Because he can point and say, look. And then the friends say, yeah, don't tell me about your Jesus. Every one of us are somewhere tonight. We can play games with God if we want to. Some may be really close to the Lord. You've been with the Lord all day. Some may say, hmm. And the Holy Ghost of God is saying, you know you're not where you're supposed to be. You, you, you're going through the motions, but your heart isn't there. We love to serve God with our hands as long as we don't have to do it with our heart. Father, I pray you'd speak to my heart tonight. I, I see so much today that, and I know I'm vulnerable. There's not a one of us in this room that could stand in and say, not me. 
But Lord, we're living in perilous times, and you said it would be that towards the end. Lord, we've lost some vibrancy in Christianity and a sense of longing to be with you and to serve. It's so easy to drift. I think of that dear lady that stood on that porch and said three times to me, Howdy, preacher. And her life is a wreck. And it can so happen to us, Lord. As moms and dads, we forget little kids are watching us. As grandmas and grandpas, we forget the grandparents' children are watching us too. People at work are watching us. Neighbors are watching us. Lord, help us not get isolated and start drifting and floating away and not even realize it and drift away from the presence of God. Lose our focus. Quit watching and being vigilant. Lord, I don't know why you've led me this way tonight, but I just wanted to be faithful to you. And I pray you speak to us. You know what we need. I pray you be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's quietly stand together.